I have some feedback from you, the listener, that demands a response. I'll do that. Plus, I have thoughts on healthcare, minimum wage, and some other items from the recent Democratic debates. That and more on today's Corey Truax Show. Much to do and only 50 or so minutes to do it in here on Christian Talk 92.9 FM or also wherever you listen to the podcast and wherever you listen deeply. Thank you for that. You know, I get feedback from you, the listener, now fairly regularly from different people. And my and a lot of it is disagreement. And the first thing I want to say to folks who write in and disagree, and I always make it the first thing I say. I say the first, thank you. Thank you for listening. I don't know. Maybe I would be a crazy person and record a show if only like 50 people listened to it. But if that were the case, I actually probably wouldn't. I would stop wasting my time. And so the fact that you're there and you're listening brings me a ton of joy. So thank you. And then uh, some of you actually did send some nice messages over after you found out it was the fourth anniversary of the show last week. And thank you for that as well. Well, on the show, I'm going to start with some listener feedback. That's going to take us about halfway through. Then I'm hoping I can get to... There, there was a very long, almost a good 40 minutes during a Democratic debate on health care. And I put some stuff on Facebook where folks responded. I really want to be able to get to some of that discussion. And then, what else? Uh, minimum wage. Pete Buda, 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 uh, Mayor Pete said something about minimum wage that was really wrong. And when you quote the Bible wrongly, I always want to get involved there. I actually had I had lunch, or excuse me, breakfast here recently with somebody. Uh, a new person I just come into contact with. I might have some some reports on that here soon. But anyway, uh, one of the things we uh, we discussed was how I, I'm not actually all that politically active anymore because the, the theological has overtaken the political in that when I think about politics, right, I think about policy, and policy is bad. Well, why is the policy bad? Well, because the politicians are bad. Well, why are the politicians are bad? Well, the politicians are bad because the people who elect them are bad. And why are the people bad? Well, because the culture is bad. And why is the culture bad? Because there's not a gospel-saturated culture. And so wherever the political thing leads, it all leads back to, well, how do we fix it? You fix the people. Until the people are converted, the people are sanctified, the people are thinking biblically, you're not going to get good politicians. And without good politicians, you're not going to get good policy. And so I, 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 come, I come alive not, when I, not necessarily when someone says, the minimum wage should be $15 an hour. I think that's a dumb idea. I think we have all the data to determine that's a terrible idea, but... I become much more alive when someone says, hey, this bad idea I have, or for that matter, if someone has a good idea and they're using Scripture improperly to make their point, that's where I come alive. That's where I really want to dive in and get heavy. Because when you start to, uh, if uh, Gary Miller over at uh, his radio, if you have to, but like, I don't know, dump this word, my apologies, I don't think you have to dump this word, but if you're going to bastardize the Scripture to make your good point or bad point, that's when you're going to get me riled up. And so that's what Pete Buttigieg did. And so uh, that's I, I hope we can we can get to that today. Now, to listener feedback. First, from Wayne. Wayne made a great point. 
and I am having to issue a correction. Look how humble I am going to issue this correction right now. I said two weeks ago that when President Trump said to those four Congress ladies, Congresswomen, go back to your home country, I said, well, that's a problem because they're in their home country right now. And he wrote in to correct me that Ilhan Omar can call America her adopted country, but not her home country. Also, I think I said she was from Sudan, and I th- she's from Somalia, and I'm almost positive I said Sudan. So two corrections. That is true. Her home country is not the United States. It is her adopted country, but it is hers now, so she's she is one of us, but it's not technically her home country. And also, she's from Somalia, not Sudan. So that one was from Wayne. Number two. Stephen wrote on to me a private message on Facebook. I'm going to read it to you verbatim. He says, oh, i got to find it again. Uh, there it is. There's Stephen on Facebook. Uh, he says, your description of yourself as being deeply flawed is definitely accurate. It's a pretty good opener. If you don't know, that's the thing on my Instagram and on Facebook. I uh, introduce myself to you if you go find me on social media. And you should, by the way. You're, you're making a terrible choice if you haven't. Um, I call myself a Jesus follower, Reformed. That's my theology, Reformed theology. So it says, uh, I'm a Jesus follower, Reformed, deeply flawed, a liberty lover, a wannabe broadcaster, and then I give my Enneagram that I'm a one wing nine and I'm an ISTJ on the Myers-Briggs. That's how I introduce myself on my social media bios. And so that deeply flawed part is what he says there. So reading from Stephen, he says, your description of yourself as deeply flawed is definitely accurate. Well, I know. That's why I wrote it. Then he says, to say you aren't a Trump guy is one thing, but to say Trump is the worst person ever in politics is incomprehensible. First, Stephen, thanks for listening. Second, good use of incomprehensible. I love folks with the vocabulary. Then he says, for someone who professes to be a devout Christian, I do, you seem to have skipped over several of God's scriptures, like Job 38.2, John 8.7, and 1 Peter 2.13-18. You know how a minute ago I mentioned bastardizing scripture? That's part of what I'm going to get into here. So, Stephen, um, yeah, I'm a deeply flawed guy. Second, Trump being the worst person ever in politics. I don't remember when I said that, but I'm sure I've said it. I, you're accurate. You're 100% right that I've said Donald Trump is the worst person ever in politics. I have two thoughts on that. One, that's hyperbole. I I hope I can that comes across like a... I'm I'm, tr- I'm trying to make a point that uh, I don't know like he, that's the the biggest fish I've ever seen when someone catches a fish or something like that like I'm it's not actually the biggest one and he no he's not actually the worst person ever in politics that's true but I'm trying to make a point that he's a very very bad person he's one of the most acidic one of the most acerbic one of the most damaging people that's ever entered our politics. And his personal morality is terrible as well. But no, um, like anyone who was ever for slavery, yeah, they're like worse than Donald Trump, okay? I, I gotcha. There's been other people in politics. Uh, there was like a Louisiana senator, Vitter, who apparently like for years was having affairs with prostitutes and hid that stuff. And then he had, had some other, like there was a bunch of things with Vitter. I could argue that Charlie Rangel was a worse person than Donald Trump. Like, yeah, there are some people, I, I guess if you add it up, could be worse. Um, so 
I don't want to recant the statement. I want to clarify it as hyperbole. I was making a point using a rhetorical device. The rhetorical device was not analogy or metaphor. The rhetorical device was hyperbole. He's the worst person ever in politics. And so, uh, but now in like modern day, he might be, I think he, he's a worse person than like Bill Clinton was. He's a worse person than a lot of modern figures. And I think it isn't arguable that he has diminished our national discourse more than anyone else. I think that I really mean that word inarguable. As a personality, has anyone caused more division? Has anyone come on the scene and caused more division than he has? And you can you can shout right back, well, the media caused a lot of that. And I would actually agree with you. The media's reaction to him caused a lot of it. But he was the core. He came on and broke the system. And a lot of you loved that. You loved that he was breaking the system. But one of the systems that he broke was civility. He broke civility, that civility was no longer valued. And so he may not be the worst person ever in politics, but I would argue he might be the person who's had the worst effect on our politics because of what he's done to the, to the American psyche uh, over how he behaves and treats people, um, that he's turned a bunch, of, you know, a bunch of people into hypocrites, you know, a bunch of... Man, a whole bunch of people who, I've made the point before, I grew up with a bunch of people telling me that honor and character mattered in leadership. And those people just lied to me because those people love this guy. And so he's he has diminished our culture. He's hurt our people. But fine, yeah. Um, worst person ever in politics, that was hyperbole. And so I'll clarify that. Now, specific to the scriptures, though, you gave me Job 38.2. I looked it up. The verse says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? So I think you're saying, I'm giving out advice and saying things, but I don't actually have knowledge. This is something God said to Job. Like, this is after, like, Job is like, God, all this stuff has happened to me, and I was really well behaved, and I did all the right things. Like, Job is struggling with one of the fundamental questions of life. This quote, why do bad things happen to, quote, righteous people or good people? And God is saying, before he, he goes into this long list of, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you when I told the where the ocean where to go and where to stop and how deep to be? And God is making a point to Job that my ways are higher than yours. So that doesn't exactly apply here for the record. That's taken way out of context. The John 8. This one gets on my nerves so much. I love the verse, but I can't stand it when it gets used this way. The John 8 story is when uh, there's the woman caught in adultery, which, by the way, many translations have now removed that because it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts. But the woman caught in adultery, and Jesus says, uh, let any of you, who uh, those who are without sin, cast the first stone. And this has been quoted to me recently as like, you can't criticize anyone ever because you've sinned. Like That is not what that verse means, guys. And if it does, if that's what, if that's what you think it means, then you necessarily mean the Bible contradicts itself like crazy. Because Jesus, just a couple chapters later, he says, judge righteous judgment. Like half of Paul's letters is him throwing the first stone. He is judging Philippi in Galatia, the churches at Thessalonica. Like he is judging them like crazy. He is casting stones. Like this is, and he's got sin. That's what Paul has. Peter is writing a book of comfort when he writes First Peter to uh, to persecuted Christians, but he also judges them. Like if you think the verse 
Don't cast the first stone if you ever sinned means never criticize anyone ever. You have invalidated the New Testament. What do you think Moses did when he was they came down the mountain? We got a bronze calf. We got a bunch of people worshiping it. And he's he pronounces judgment on them. And he puts it into like the, you know, he grind, grinds it up. People have to drink it. It's all gross. It's punishment. Someone should have looked at Moses and said, you've sinned. Like, you've sinned a whole bunch. You're, you killed a dude. And don't you cast the first stone at us. Obviously, that's not what that verse means, everybody. And I'm, not, I'm trying not to be a punk here to Stephen because Stephen was kind enough to write in. And I'm not yelling at him. I'm yelling at everyone who does that. It's a weird verse to use that way. And then finally, 1 Peter 2. This, the last verse was, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme, as to governors, uh, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up for evil, live as servants of God. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. So, and, and you can apply that absolutely to governments. Just It says emperor, you don't need an empire for this to apply. So yeah, give, give honor to the governments that God has ordained on earth. Uh, and I think I do, by the way. Uh, that to, to the positions, I call him President Trump. It's not like I'm calling him, uh, heck, I mean, I, I, I've bestowed more honor on that office than he has, the way he's behaved in it. I use the proper titles and all that stuff. Uh, the, I, would even, I would call anybody out that says that to me. Is that what you believed about Barack Obama? Is that how you were treating him? Were you all about quoting First Peter or Second Peter? No, I think it's First Peter. Uh, about honor the emperor, and you were showing him all kinds of deference, or is it because now you really like the guy in the White House? This, I told you what you'll rile me up doing. I barely care about politics in this election, but when you use the Bible improperly or you use it inconsistently, then you've got me on my, you got me my, my hackles up over that. So there you go. That was uh, responses from Wayne and Stephen. I have more listener response. One from Daniel and then a whole bunch of people on healthcare when I posted that comment on Facebook. So I'm going to come back and do that and hopefully get to a whole lot more on this edition of the Corey Act Show. I think we're going to be able to get into this healthcare discussion a little faster than I anticipated. I will tell you why in just a moment. But first, hey, will you do me a favor? Could you go like the show on Facebook? If you look for me, Corey Truax, there's a Facebook fan page. If you'd go like that, that'd be helpful. Also, follow along on Instagram and Twitter. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. And I believe I failed to introduce myself properly in the first segment. After four years, you'd think I knew how this works, but I guess not. So let me remind you. My name is Corey Truax. I'm dedicated to smarter and deeper and better talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show. I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood is in Greenville, South Carolina, and meets at 1030 on Sunday mornings. You are cordially invited. Uh, so what occurred to me on this global warming question is I got the question before last week's episode. And so me and Nathan sat down in the bonus podcast and talked about global warming. And so I'm going to make this really quick because it was just last show uh, that I uh, that I talked about it. But Daniel really just called. He just wrote in and say, "I've never really heard you talk about it. Like, what's what's your global warming take?" And my global warming take is as follows: 
I accept math, and math says that the globe has warmed over the last several decades. I accept the general, it's not a total consensus, but the general consensus that mankind has had some some large effect on it. Uh, I don't know, in between 25 and 50% maybe. I am quite skeptical that the it's going to be as catastrophic as many have said. Uh, and then my preference, my big takeaway is my preference is not to spend trillions of dollars to prevent it. My preference is not to spend uh, or, or to harm our economy, and uh, which hurts people, by the way. When you hurt the economy, you hurt the people. With, with really bad energy regulations, my desire would be to use our incredible scientific and engineering minds to respond to it. Not try to fight it, not prevent it, but recognize, all right, it's happening. What do we got to do? What seawalls do we need to build? What more genetic modification do we need to our food? In the third world, what are we going to need to make sure that they got what they need when the climate changes? What kind of migration is going to happen? Can we predict the migration patterns from coastal areas, inland? How the, how's that going to affect our resources? Like, let's just figure it out. I, I don't want to wreck the economy through carbon taxes and wreck people's jobs through regulation on the energy sector. I'd rather just respond to the effects of climate change. So that's my climate change uh, take. Thank you, Daniel, for the question. And then here we go. I posted on Facebook, which is a terrible idea. You know, in this industry, uh, I'm a wannabe broadcaster, not a real broadcaster. In our, uh, in what I want to be doing, some of the experts have even said, "Man, you you got to get back to posting on Facebook more. You got to do more social media." And I got sick of it. I I love Instagram because it's happy there. Instagram is just a naturally happy place for some reason. But Facebook, it's like a, ugh. It's like a, a constant comment section. Like, it's just a lot of stupidity out there on Facebook. But, I mean, I'm out there. I would love for you to follow along, send a friend request over, like the fan, Facebook fan page. But um, I was watching night one of the Democratic debates, and I put out there that a, a bunch of things about healthcare, And people responded to the tune of over 50 comments and it could have been more, uh, but I, uh, I don't know. I, I I just started. I stopped commenting. I stopped responding to people. Which is, I should do more. I actually made a rule almost a couple years ago. I stopped responding. If some of you follow on Facebook and you see people comment a mean thing or a disagreeable thing, and I don't respond, it's because I don't want to. I have other things to do. Uh, but I idiotically started some comments, and so we ended up with over fifty and. Here, here's what I said. I was, I was watching the Democratic primary, and I kept hearing Bernie Sanders say that healthcare was a human right. It was human. And everyone was calling it a human right, just declaring it a human right. And talking about uh, healthcare in general. So I posted this exact thing, and I want to give you some responses. What I posted was all of the following are simultaneously true. So everything I'm about to say is true. Healthcare is not a human right. The Ameri- two, the American healthcare system is backward. Three, the European and Canadian systems are also backward. Four, universal healthcare or Medicare for all will cost literal trillions of dollars of matter in a matter of two or three years. Five, American insurance companies are in a corrupt, inefficient business. And six, prescription drugs are more expensive in the U.S. for some good reasons and then also some bad reasons. 
because one of the other things they were doing was attacking prescription drug companies. Like, they're the worst people in the world. You know, here they are creating drugs that make our lives better, and then they're getting attacked like crazy. I, for one, am thankful for the prescription drug companies coming up with ways to treat blood pressure issues and anxiety and all the stuff they treat and diabetes and the way they come up with other uh, treat epileptics. Like, thanks, prescription drug companies. Thanks for coming up with solutions to our giant health problems. But no, we, we attack them like they're the worst people in the world. So that's what I put out there. And sheesh, there's a lot of disagreement on some of those things. So before I start into it, I want to be careful about my tone. My big brother, he's also my pastor, gave me counsel on this topic. He says, you, he says, he said to me that I don't talk about it with enough compassion. So let me fix my, let me, let me fix my tone. Let me fix my face on this. Because I am, I am very passionate about the healthcare topic. I actually do think it, it might, I think it is our biggest problem. It's affecting all of our lives in ways that I think people don't even see. One quick aside to make this point, and we'll keep going. I saw a study last week that said 46% of millennials, so less than half, but still too many, 46% of millennials are getting financial help from their parents regularly. So we're talking about people my age, I'm 33, and a little bit older than me, so mid-20s to mid-30s. There are adults who have either financial mismanagement or maybe there's some genuine need in a bad situation, but not 46%. 46% don't have uniquely bad situations. That's just some mismanagement, maybe some wage issues, and they're getting help from mom and dad. I'm not trying to shame you if you're part of that 46% and you're listening to me. But I am also... I don't want to let you off the hook totally. What I have found for a lot of folks my age is we don't live within our means. We think we deserve some stuff we don't deserve yet. Some vacations and some cars and some experiences and some luxuries that we have not earned yet, but we want them now, and so we spend our money stupidly, and then mom and dad have to bail you out. I'll even say it of my own situation. I I am obviously totally independent of my parents at 33, but my dad sometimes is randomly generous. Sometimes he's just like, hey, I remember I was, I don't remember what I was doing. He just rode up to my house, and he gave me a check for a grand, like, I don't know, a year and a half ago. He was just, hey, man, he said some nice things because my dad is, my dad's great. And uh, that grand was not, I guess, technically needed, but it was helpful, obviously. And, but it was, uh, I never asked him for it. Uh, And it wasn't, I wasn't in any need of it. It was just a, that was just generosity. That wasn't help. That was a generous gift, right? So I, I look out at that world where 46% of millennials are still getting money from their parents regularly, but one of the reasons that's happening is because of healthcare. They would be making more money if it would not if it were not for our backward, terrible, stupid healthcare system that's sucking up a lot of their wages, sucking up a lot of the overhead in their companies, so their their companies aren't able to give them raises at the same rate we've had in previous eras in the economy. The entrepreneurial entrepreneurs that I know that are my age running into all of the regulation around the healthcare you have to offer once your business gets to a certain number of employees. 
like it, it's affecting the economy more broadly than just healthcare is too expensive in the United States. Like it's it probably is our biggest problem. And so I want to be careful on the tone and say at the outset, I understand I come across harsh sometimes, but my heart is this. My heart is what is best for the people. And what I think is hard for a lot of people to recognize is freedom is the best. The best thing for people is to be free. And we have 200 plus years of evidence in the American system that where parts of the economy have been left to freedom and market forces, we've gotten great things. It's actually been the best for people. And we love people. We want the result that's best for human flourishing. And I've just seen the market, the free market system, be the best for people over and over again. There's not a better place to be a human than in the United States of America. And that's because we've been so free market. So, with that tone set, let me try to see if I can maintain that tone and take the first thing. There were several people on the feed who wanted to make the contention that health care is a human right. I've explained this a few times before, so I'll go fast because I don't want to bore you if you remember what I said. Words do have definitions. And you can call healthcare a good thing. You can say uh, healthcare, if you have the ability to help someone in a dire situation, you should especially if like from a Christian perspective, and, and you should even do it with uh, without any expectation of compensation. Like you can you can say that. But the thing you can't call it is a right. A right is an inher- something inherent in your humanity. Healthcare by its nature is a product. There's a, in a lot of different ways. Just let me give you an example, some examples. We say that a human right is, is to express yourself. You have the right to express yourself. We call that freedom of speech in the United States. You have only you, only you can limit your amount of speech. It's inherent to you. Only when you decide to be quiet, only when you decide to be timid or when you decide to go to sleep, are you limited in the amount of speech you have, this human right. That's, of course, not how healthcare works. There are only so many doctors, there are only so many injections, there are only so many prescription drugs, there are only so many MRI machines and hospital beds. If there's a a mass emergency and you can't get to see a doctor or a, uh, let's just go with uh, you let's just go to Canada. You got to wait 6 6 months to see a oncologist. Are you are you being denied your human right because there's they haven't provided enough doc- doctors for you to see a doctor at a reasonable time? If we're just out of insulin, if something happens and the supply of insulin is, is gone for diabetics, have, have we denied you your human right because we're out of insulin? Of course not, because healthcare is a series of products and services. It's not a right because we can run out of it. And you can't run out of a right. The, the idea that healthcare is a human right is is incorrect. It's factually wrong because the word right has a meaning. So that's one. Healthcare is not a human right. I want to con- to continue that point, though, with 
the reality that from a Christian perspective, we want people to be cared for. Meaning, we as Christians want to be part of some solution amongst ourselves. Being generous where we can be generous. Being a voice for better policy. Then I'm going to give you some policy ideas at the end of this. The, we ha- Our heart is that we want to see people taken care of. Just because it's a good thing, though, doesn't mean it's a right. Because it's a desirable thing doesn't mean you're entitled to it. A, a person on that Facebook feed asked, you know, what if it becomes a life or death situation? Is it someone's right to be cared for? It's a moral good. It's a moral good for someone to be cared for. If you have the ability to save somebody, save somebody in a life and death situation. But here we are with this broad idea of healthcare. I mean, we're talking about tests for strep throat down to this person is ble- is bleeding from their femoral artery. Should we care for them and should it be free? Maybe we should all grow up and recognize the nuances and the difficulty of a lot of those discussions. That that this now leads to the next point. That the fantasy world that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, all of all of them introduce, that's not good for people because it is fantasy and it does not work. It diminishes quality. This is one of the things that we have to another thing we have to understand about healthcare. In healthcare, you can usually choose choose two out of these three when it comes to a healthcare system broadly. You can have accessibility, quality, or affordability, two out of three. So if you have affordability and quality, you're going to have less accessibility. Because if you have a, if it's affordable and high quality, everyone's going to want to use it all the time. And if it's affordable, it probably means the people who are doing the services aren't making as much. And so the demand on the supply is very high, so you're going to have less accessibility to it. Look to the British system, the Canadian system for that. It's decently high quality. It costs nothing at the point of service, although it costs a ton of taxes. But it's hard to access the the system. You have our system that is high quality, and you have a lot of accessibility, but you don't have affordability. It's unbelievably expensive to be sick in the United States of America. But you can usually see a doctor really quickly. You can see specialists really quickly. You get access really quickly, and the quality is the best in the world. That's what we have in the United States of America. You, you can have typically two out of three. If you are going to have quality and affordable, I'm trying to come up with the one, the one um, combination I haven't done yet. If you have accessibility and uh, and quality, it's accessible and quality, uh, then you're not going to have affordability. I already did that one. Okay, but just put those down on a piece of paper. Affordability, uh, accessibility, and quality. And all of them are tensions that pull on each other. And you, you, this is where we do have to just be grown-ups and recognize, well, we can't have them all. We can't have all those in the system. We're going to have to give up some things for others. Okay, so, um, so let me actually guess probably best way to do this is play for you a clip from the Democratic debate. I believe this is Pete. No, it's not Pete Buttigieg. It is one of the guys I can't remember the name of. You know how there were some people on the stage that were actually kind of sane uh, and were t- speaking decent sense? One of them used to be an Ohio congressman. Uh, one of them was the governor of Montana. I think his name was Bullock. Like They actually understood math, and they weren't living in a land of unicorns. One of them went after, I think, 
is either Warren's, yeah, Sir, Sir Elizabeth Warren's Medicare for All plan. So this is a Democrat with some common sense going after that very bad idea. Harris is my friend as well, but I have to say, if we can't admit, if we can't admit tonight what's in the plan, which is banning employer-based insurance. We're not going to be able to admit that when Donald Trump is accusing Democrats of doing that as well. We need to be honest about what's in this plan. It bans employer-based insurance and taxes the middle class to the tune of $30 trillion. He's just right on that. It happened to the previous, that was actually to Kamala Harris, or Kamala Harris. It happened to the previous night to Bernie Sanders, where they were saying, you're going to have to tax everybody like crazy. You are saying people that have insurance they like right now, they will lose it to go into just a big group, this is, like, let's all be adults and recognize they're right, that that's how that's going to have to work. And I promise this, the, uh, actually, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep backtracking. That same guy the previous night, I think it's John Delaney, he gave that great anecdote where he said he asked all of the hospitals, or not all, he asked a lot of hospitals, if you're all getting paid the government rate, the Medicare, Medicaid rate for all of your services, what would be the consequence? And they said, we'd go out of business. We'd shut down. And that's just true. They, they would because the, the government system's already a failure before we put all 320 million of us on it. It's already a failure. If you want to be paying less, we should also recognize you're, you're going to get what you pay for. When you do when you diminish the cost, you often diminish quality. Like we can make it more affordable and still not and still have a great system. It's a broken system, but these ideas aren't realistic. They are fantasy, and that was one of the weird parts of that debate. Is there was you had the fantasy people, people that don't live in the real world, Kamala Harris, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and then you had some Democrats that actually understood the planet and how economics works, and that. Not everything is monopoly money, and you can have all the best intentions, but your intentions can be dumb. There were some, or your, your intentions can be good, but your results can be dumb. That is a couple of Democrats on that stage. Well, when we come back, I have a couple more thoughts on this healthcare thing. I think I want to get into minimum wage if I can. And also, one candidate, Marianne Williamson, the, I think she is doing something unique that needs to be discussed. We'll do that and more when we come back for the remainder of the Corey Truax Show. In just a moment, I am going to give you the solutions, like what actually would be a good healthcare plan. But first, I'm holding you hostage until you've liked the show and reviewed it and rated it wherever you listen on the podcasting apps, until you've taken some action and uh, you've written to the show at courtreaxshow at gmail.com or you're following on Instagram or send me a message on Facebook or something, I'm just not going to do the show. I'm quitting right now. Three, two, I'm just kidding. For real, though, go do that. Go, uh, go. Let me know your thoughts. I'd love to know what you think about what I think. Uh, you can also use the Anchor app. If you download that on your smartphone, you can send me a voice message and play it. By the way, also, I'm out on Marco Polo. Oh, boy. Corey, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. Hey, I'm on Marco Polo. It's an app. It's a video messaging app. I use it to talk to people, like in my personal life. But it has very high-quality audio. And so if you want to tell me something on Marco Polo... I can't promise you I'll respond, but if you have thoughts on something, I would love to play it on the show. There's all kinds of ways to contact. You can do Marco Polo, Anchor, right into the show at CoreyTruexShow.gmail.com. I'd love to get in touch and see uh, see who's out there listening and your thoughts. Now, this healthcare thing. I had one more big point, and then I want to give you solutions. 
part of that feed as well on my Facebook wall was the idea of, I guess, a Christian ethic here. And the Christian ethic would be what is the best for people? What's the best for humankind? And my argument would be the, the best for humankind would not be Medicare for all. We're going to get diminished. Quality will go down. Our accessibility will go down if we do a Medicare for all system. Now, in our current system, it hurts people. People are broke because of it. It needs reform, but the Medicare for all, let's just have the government do it all, let's just raise everybody's taxes. Uh, One of the disgusting, morally reprehensible things I saw in that Democratic debate was when, I think it was John Delaney, was saying, you know, Elizabeth Warren wants to, uh, no, 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 that's it. Uh, There was a Jake Tapper, maybe, or Don Lemon. It was one of the um, moderators was saying to John Delaney, Elizabeth Warren's tax plan for people uh, that have this much wealth, you know, it would affect you, and how, how do you feel about that tax plan? And when they were saying that to John Delaney, Elizabeth Warren rubbed her hands together like a villain, like she couldn't wait to get her hands on his money. That's immoral. It's reprehensible that she behaved in that way. It's not funny. But that's not good for people. That's not the best for people. And so the Christian ethic, the chief thing is, what's best for human flourishing? Because people are made in the image of God, and we love people. And that doesn't mean all people, by the way. So you don't get, you don't get to hate the people that disagree with you. If you look at a group of people, you might, my anti-Trump folks, you know I'm with you. I don't like the guy. I don't like him at all. But if you look at the Trump supporter and you hate them, you got a problem. You're not living in the Christian ethic. If you're a Trump thumper and you love him more than you love the Bible, well, of course you have a problem. But if you just you love the guy and you look out at the left and you look at those progressives and how you want to destroy them, yeah, you got a problem too. Because they're people. They're not just your political enemy. They're human beings. And so the Christian ethic on healthcare is we want what's best for humans. And so then, if our current system is not not great for humans, but changing it to a government system is not good for humans either. What would be good for humans? Well, I have some ideas. Let's start here. One is remove the layers. We actually don't have a market. We don't have a healthcare market or an insurance market. There's very little competition on these things because there's very little freedom. The government's created all kinds of layers. Because health insurance comes through employers, we have insurance companies, and then we have employers. And then there's insurance commissioners and regulators that talk about what insurance you can have, and then Obamacare comes along and actually makes rules about what insurance plans must be, uh, what must be in insurance plans. For example, any insurance plan I have as a 33-year-old single male has to cover stuff that I'm not going to have to worry about. It's going to have to, stuff that only women need to worry about to be delicate. So, like, this is... This is a terrible idea. The government gets involved there. So we have employers involved, and we have insurance regulators involved, and insurance commissioners. Oh, and then we get oh, doctor's associations, and we get hospital associations, and they negotiate. And no one has been sensitive to price and market forces. We just got layer upon layer of bureaucracy in the system, and there's no market to it. So remove those layers to create a market both for health care itself and health insurance. 
the way one of the ways we can do that is to create a national market. So, uh, folks like uh, my, the doctor I use, I, I do put my money where my mouth is on this. I use uh, Dr. Shane Purcell in Anderson, South Carolina, a place called uh, I think they call it Ready Care. I could be wrong about that, but Dr. Shane Purcell, he's great. You can find him on Facebook too. They they don't work with any insurance companies. They're a market. We what we do costs money. Healthcare is worth paying for. Here's our our transparency on our prices. You can find them on our website. And, and come, come in if you want to use use us. That's what I use. That's the best thing for me. Other people would have a, a, a different situation. And, and you'll find that if you actually start removing the layers and the regulation, that different niche markets will pop up to serve different constituencies. And so you can create a national market on insurance by removing the rules that say you can't buy health insurance unless there's uh, an actual uh, it's, it's actually in your state. Uh, that, so I can buy a, a policy from some random person in Idaho. If, if that person wants to insure me and they think they could be profitable from the premium I'm paying and I'm satisfied, there should be nothing stopping us. That would be good on insurance, but that would also be good on health care itself. It, I, I've given the illustration before, but it is absurd that no one knows what it costs to get wisdom teeth out. Like None of us know. What we know is what our insurance company will cover or if they won't, what our deductible will be. We know what co-pays are, deductibles are. We know what our premiums are, but we don't actually know how much it costs to get our wisdom teeth out. Like that's it should be a thing. It should be as easy to search what it costs to get wisdom teeth removed as it is to search for your cheapest flight to New York City. But because of the regulation and because we've gummed up the system so much with with all of the layers, we don't have a market for health care itself, and we don't have a market for the insurance for care as well. Uh, we should, in distance number, I don't know what number I'm on, we should disincentivize employer health insurance. One of the ways we, we got into this mess is when there were wage caps, like you couldn't pay people over a certain amount in the 40s, I think, or uh, I don't remember. But one of the uh, during one of those decades, 40s or 50s, because there was a wage cap, one of the things companies were were doing was creating healthcare policies and joining their people together to negotiate with health insurance companies, and that was part of the compensation. Come work for us; we offer health insurance. And so it was a it was a bad marriage from the beginning. It shouldn't have happened. Now, granted, hundreds of millions of people, or probably a little bit less than 200 million. Love their health, their health insurance from their company. It's it's a good situation for them, but it would be better for people if we were all out there doing our own healthcare shopping and health insurance shopping. Because again, right now you don't get to shop. You don't. You're not price sensitive like you are for everything else. You just sign up. You've got. You never negotiated a thing. Human resources people negotiated with insurance people who, neg- who, who negotiated with doctors associations who negotiated with hospital associations, and no one was ever sensitive to the prices. If we had our own, the, the, uh, the effect of free markets, it drives prices down, it drives competitions for better care. None of those forces are working in our healthcare system right now. So disincentivize through the tax code, employers offering health insurance so everyone can go uh, compete out one-on-one in the market. Um, we could also create some incentives for voluntary groups or individuals. Uh, so one example there, the, uh, the MediShare thing. That's a great voluntary thing that some Christians do. We could actually create in the tax code some incentive for that, for folks who want to create their own uh, associations. Uh, We create some moral implications around philanthropy. So uh, we, 
we, we so have the situation where we got Medicaid and Medicare and insurance that one of the places that struggles with philanthropy from rich people is the healthcare system. But if we were changing the system to where it is more individualized, you're going to have uh, a moral call, some moral pressure pay, uh, placed upon those that actually have some funds to put that towards some charitable situations as well. And then I never want to forget this, personal responsibility. Take some responsibility for your own health. Stop eating some of the garbage you eat. Stop sitting around all the time. Get up and do stuff. Like We have some responsibility for our own health as well. So those are my ideas because John on that Facebook feed asked, well, what are the practical solutions? What what can we do to make it better? All right, there you go. Remove a lot of the layers. Remove the... Uh, regulation, remove the, uh, the the bureaucracy to create a free market system for insurance and a free market system for care itself. Watch the prices go down, watch the quality go up, and let's create some incentive for the entire market to be individualized and not so gummed up with group thinking. I have very little time left. I think the more important thing to talk about is actually Marianne Williamson. And then uh, the other thing I wanted to get to was minimum wage. I'll try Marianne Williamson has been made fun of, this Democrat uh, who's running for president. Uh, you know, I, I think I said last week on the, the discussion with Nathan McDowell, I could never vote for any of these Democrats because all their policies are crazy and they hurt people. Their policies hurt people. And Marianne Williamson's policies hurt people, too. Uh, they're, she's, she's a Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren Democrat. It's very far left, very big government, very much against the individual right. And so, uh, obviously, I'm not, not going to vote for the woman. I'd love to have her on the show. But she is doing something different than what everyone else is. And I wouldn't be surprised if she's not the Carly Fiorina of the Democratic race. You know, Carly Fiorina got a bunch of attention f- during the 2016 cycle. The, per- you know, the person that uh, Donald Trump said something was wrong with her face. I can't remember what he said to her, but he called her ugly. Um, because, you know, he's such a high-quality person. Uh, but Carly Fiorina had a moment. I think Marianne Williamson has something there for this reason. The things I've been talking about mostly today are how Democrat policies are bad. The healthcare policy is disastrous. If we got into minimum wage, it's a dumb idea. Their ideas are bad. And if they're trying to make practical arguments against the president, they'll lose. Because the practicality is that the economy is good, that there's generally peace around the world, that we don't have any uh, we don't have conflicts with with foreign uh, with foreign powers. Practically, life's okay. And if you got Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and, and that group, Joe Biden trying to make practical arguments about raising taxes and reinstituting a lot of environmental regulation, they'll lose. But Marianne Williamson is up on stage constantly going to the moral question. She gets made fun of for talking about dark forces, dark psychic forces, but I think it does connect with some people to the extent that I feel like she actually is left-wing She's almost left-wing Trump. That she's speaking to something deeper. Donald Trump did speak to something deeper in a group of people. It wasn't necessarily a good thing, but he spoke to something deeper. Because his policy was wild. One one video clip, one audio clip, he's saying, we're going to have health care for everybody and the government's going to pay for it. It's like, what? Socialized medicine is what you're talking about. But none of his people cared because he was speaking about something deeper. He was speaking about corporations that were, well, I guess it's Bernie that talks about greedy corporations, but Donald Trump talked about greedy corporations too and talked about draining the swamp. Like it was a moral argument even if he was an immoral messenger. 
And so the other folks are talking about practicality and technocratism. And Marianne Williamson is very interestingly talking about the morals of it. Morals of politics and who we are as a people. And there's something about it even connects with me when she talks about it. Like, I, I identify with her point that, yeah, we're broken. We're a really broken people. And the thing that won't fix it is Medicare for all. And the thing that won't fix it is higher taxes. But also, my free market plan for healthcare won't fix it, and lower taxes won't fix it. Because our problems are greater than the technocratic. Our problems are greater than the bureaucratic. Our problem is us. We are suffering the consequences, I think, of our incredible success. We've, we might have crossed on that path that the Romans and the Greeks do, where life gets so good, you get so prosperous, that you start creating your own problems to try to find some meaning in your life. We have no unified meaning in the United States as a people. We're disjointed. And I think we all, something instinctive, like we know. We know something's wrong with us. And I think, I think she's speaking about that. And while I think all of her policy is bad, she's saying something that we should listen to. And then address in our own lives. You might not be able to change anybody but yourself. And now we come from a gospel perspective, because this is a Christian show, and you can't change yourself. That's the Holy Spirit. That's sanctification. That's getting in the Word. That's prayer. That is gazing on Christ through the Scriptures and seeing where you are not like Christ and striving to become more like Christ every day. But it was an interesting thought I thought I had from that debate. Is she saying something a little different than all of the others? And there's some truth there that's worth exploring. We've run out of time this week. You can listen to South Carolina Connections, my other show, if you want to listen to that. Plus, I did want to talk about minimum wage, so I might do a, a bonus show on that. But we're all out of time for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back with another new edition next week. Until then, peace and love.